Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friend, Corey, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Car sent you. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car has been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. years of conception, of planning, and actual production, Covadis has been completed, and the dream has been fulfilled. Covadis was filmed in Rome, amid the actual sites of its historic locale, through the vivid reality of color by Technicolor, Imperial Rome is recreated, glorious and corrupt, awesome and hallowed. Here you will meet Marcus Vinicius, Robert Taylor. Through a performance of masterful artistry, he will have lost his own identity and become Marcus Vinicius. Brave warrior, generous and yet capable of cruelty and unbridled self-will. And here, with Marcus Vinicius, you meet Lydia, the Christian slave girl who, in time, will dominate his life. Deborah Carr is Lygia, a pagan to his fingertips as the suave and ironical Petronius. The eminent actor Leo Gen recreates Nero's arbiter of elegance. And here is history's evil genius, Nero. Under the forehead of a demigod and the face of a beast, he was a drunkard and a sensualist, full of changing desires and swollen with fat and crime. So has history described him, and so he is recreated by Peter Ustinov in a magnificent performance. The Empress Popea, the hard and calculating wife whose hand shaped the fate of Nero's world. The giant Christian slave Ursus, a man of tremendous strength and the gentleness of a child. Here the fisherman, Simon called Peter. In all there are 110 speaking parts in Quo Vadis. An unprecedented cast of 30,000 men, women and children 
you will see thousands upon thousands of players appearing in a single scene. No achievement in entertainment history has equaled the panoramic spectacle, the splendor, the power, and the compelling human drama of Kovalev. It is an experience which cannot be compared with anything you have ever known before. You'll witness the infamous revelry of a knight in Nero's court. You'll stand with the Christians in the catacombs. See the battle of the giants. You'll know the love of Marcus and Lygia. The spectacle of Nero's circus. The terror of the arena when Ursus stands alone against death. Here, a happening that will be remembered as long as history, the burning of Rome. Standing here in the shadows of antiquity's pagan gods, you will join with Rome's roaring multitudes as they honor their victorious warriors. And you'll know why Quo Vadis has been called the most genuinely colossal movie you are likely to see for the rest of your lives. Hey there, this is John Oates, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Tune into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers in Google Tantalk, 1340.com, and you can see me live here in the studios in downtown Clearwater. Don't, don't forget to check out our uh, website, Nostalgic Radio and Cars. No, 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 excuse me. Yeah, well, Nostalgic Radio and Cars.com is where you'll find the archive page and all our past shows and stuff. 474 of them. Tonight's 475. And if you want to find out all about us, just check out our website, GolfstreamMotorsports.com. That's where we kind of. Spill the beans. Good evening, Tommy. Hello, Robert. How are you tonight, my man? Okay. How's Ed doing? I see Ed's in there, too. Hi, Ed. We brought you a fan. He brought me a fan. Yeah. Oh, I have a, your, fa- oh, your fan, fan is here, Robert. Oh, 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 oh. I thought you had Rob in the radio station. <laughs> Rob's a little taller. He's a little taller. All righty. Yeah. And... Uh, as, as far as fans go, right? Okay. Anyway, <laughs> while we're in the subject of fans. Anyway, uh, yeah, we, we have a great show for you tonight. We have a very special guest, a musical guest. Actually, uh, 
the gentleman's not originally from Florida, but the uh, band originated in Florida, and they had a very, very popular song back in the late 60s. Actually, it was a takeoff of a cartoon. And it was kind of uh, a spoof record, but it caught on. And I think, if I remember correctly, it went to number two, because I remember as a kid growing up listening to this. And uh, then they did a Christmas version of it. So if you go to our Facebook page, you'll know who our guest is. I always usually don't reveal who that is. I like to surprise my my listeners. Um, on that note, let's see, a buddy of mine from uh, Mark, big shout out to Mark if he's listening on the radio, Mark from uh, Maryland. He deals in uh, Cadillacs. And then a shout out to Chris up there at Lincoln Land because he deals in Lincolns, Lincoln Continentals, and I've always been Lincoln Mercury kind of guy. L-E-M, or M-E-L, actually, it's Mercury Edsel Lincoln is what it used to be, Mel. Um... But at any rate, so uh, coincidentally, as I was on the interstate, uh, Mark was on the interstate. We kind of rendezvoused here in Clearwater, and he was dropping off from a car. He dropped off a uh, really cool little 1959 Triumph TR3. And uh, if Scott's listening, a big shout-out to Scott, because apparently they had a problem with the car stuck, the emergency brake jammed on it or something like that. Well, when you typically think of an emergency brake handle, you pull up on it, and you push the button, and you release. And it's basically emergency brakes. It's got two little shoes inside the brake drum. They're alternate shoes. And what they do basically is lock the car, the wheel, one of the rear wheels, either the right or left side, depending on where it's hooked up. And it keeps the wheel, the rear end, from uh, expanding. And uh, therefore, it's called an emergency brake. Now, in the British cars, I did not know this. I found this out today, that it's considered a drive brake. Now... Think about that for a second, a drive brake. Now, if Alan's listening, Alan probably knows because Alan's had a bunch of Triumphs before. I've had one TR6, a couple of project cars, but I've had a few MGBs, and I'm not sure if my MGB works the same way or not. But basically the way it works is you push the button, you pull, and you kind of slow the car down. It's kind of like um, if you've ever ri- driven a dune buggy, you got uh, two handles, one for the front brakes, one for the rear, or one for the right, one for the left, and you can pull up and you can actually steer the car. So if you're running around in the sand dunes, you jerk up on one side and it locks the one wheel and the car spins to the other direction, or you lock them both up and 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 they both lock up. But at any rate, so I did not know that that's the way that this Triumph was. I thought, you know, you pull up on it, push the button, you release it, you go down. Well, apparently that's not how it works. It works the opposite. So once they figured that out, I actually had to call Scott to find out because I wasn't 100% sure. I said the emergency brake's locked up. Now, times what happens is the cable will stretch, and there's a little cog in there, and if you pull it too far, you got to get underneath the car in the tunnel, more than likely, and you've got to sit there and take a screwdriver, and you've got to kind of pry around on it and pull pull up on the little cog thing, kind of like it works like a ratchet, and uh, you got to kind of pull up the little toggle or cog thing and then release it and then let it down incrementally and it takes usually two people one guy's got to be up on top and one guy's got to be underneath the car getting all nice and greasy and hot and sweaty and bothered since we're in Floridia and it's August August September gets pretty hot and humid around here anyway on that note I think what Tommy's going to do because we want to get our guests on the show here Tommy's going to go ahead and fire up the stereo and we're going to play our first song and this is a little Doobie Brothers and I'm not sure if he has the studio version or the live version, but it doesn't matter. It's a good song. You tune into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and uh, Jesus is all right.
Come enjoy the best brews in Tampa Bay at Dunedin Brewery. Known as Florida's oldest microbrewery, they are always working to create a unique variety of craft beers for every taste. In addition, Dunedin Brewery features a full menu, including everything from their famous wings, burgers, salads, flatbreads, and more. Don't forget about their live music, including the Wednesday Night Players Jam. That's Dunedin Brewery, 937 Douglas Avenue in downtown Dunedin. Visit them online at dunedinbrewery.com. Looking for car shows? Then look no further than FLACarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, FLACarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at FLACarshows.com. Okay, we are back, and uh, so that was my Triumph TR3 story for today. You know, we always have to have some little car story, but it was a nice little car, and I got to uh, move it into. I didn't really. My friend Mark brought it down from South Carolina, and it was in a garage up there with a number of other cars, and he brought it down here, and we put it in another garage, and it coincidentally blocked to a friend of mine who had one about ten years ago that I looked at buying, and I never bought one. I never bought the TR. What did I have? I think I, instead of buying the TR3, I ended up buying a TR6. I don't remember. Sometime back in the 2000s, mid 2000s. But anyway, cool little cars. British cars are cool. Now we're on a little bit of a uh, gospel slash religious theme tonight because our musician this evening um, has also done like B.J. Thomas, who was on our show a number of years ago, and Mark Farner. Um, a lot of rock and roll guys kind of you know kind of do some gospel music every once in a while, rock and roll stuff. Gravitate. That was the word I was looking to. Yeah, yeah. So the first clip was Quo Vadis, which I remember that movie as a kid. Now, I wasn't around in 1951 when it first came out. But subsequent movies like Ten Commandments, Ben-Hur, um, The Robe, and all those other kind of movies, I did see those. And they had some pretty, pretty you know, golden age actors in those movies. Charleston Heston was always one of my favorite. I used to say Chucky Heston. Of course, he was also the president of NRA, right, which is National Rifle Association. And uh, pretty cool dude. Made some, oh, yeah, Omega Man. I think we even played a clip on Omega Man. That was one. And then, of course, uh, a number of movies. But he's most noted for playing um, Moses in The Ten Commandments and um, Judah in Ben-Hur. I think it was Judah. Was it? I can't remember. My memory, you know what, dementia, it's just it's starting to, it's starting to take a hold of me. Now it really is. So, but anyway, so on that note, uh, we've got some more um, biblical movies and uh, gospel-related songs. And in fact, this one song we'll be playing in a few minutes is one that um, when I first moved to Florida in '71 was pretty popular. It was by a group by the name of Ocean. And we will play that in a second. In the meantime, I think Tommy is going to go ahead and roll that clip, and then we're going to call our guest. Got clip two, Ten Commandments. Uh, yeah, we always play. Oh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. Let's do the music and then the Ten Commandments. I'll be okay. It's just, you know, dement- the dementia thing. Yeah, it really, you know, it does exist. I mean, they're talking about COVID. COVID's nothing. That's just a little flu. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> you know. And uh, we're not going to go there because I ain't going there. But let's just play the, uh, um, this group is let's called Ocean. and it's in order. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I should know. I wrote the outline, but anyway. So this, the title of the song is called "Put Your Hand in the Hand." Put your hand in the hand. Is that it? Of the man. 
Put your hand in the hand. In the hand. Something else. Okay. Anyway, hey, you're tuning into Nostalgic Wind Cars, and I'm going to put my my thinking cap on. That's what I'm going to do. Hey, don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. Nostalgic Radio and Cars. was the face I saw above my cradle, the only mother I've ever known. But my feet are set upon a road that I must follow. From director Cecil B. DeMille. I will teach thee. Man shall be ruled by law, not by the will of other men. These are mine. The Academy Award-winning film. Let my people go. Unforgettable definitive Bible story. I know not his God, neither will I let his people go. You have not obeyed the Lord. This night, the Lord our God will deliver us from the bondage of Egypt. They shall die under my chariot wheels. All let it be written, all let it be done. Starring some of film's greatest legends. Epic of all time. Behold his mighty hand. Those 
who will not live by the law shall die by the law. The Ten Commandments. Hey everybody, this is Mark Farner, the founding member of Grand Funk Railroad. And I'm listening to nostalgic radio in cars where they'll knock you alive. Okay, we're back and you're tuning into Nostalgic Radio in Cars, and it's time to introduce our very special guest for this evening. I'm delighted to welcome to the show. I'd like to say maybe Florida's own, but I'm not 100 percent sure about that. But anyway, this gentleman was one of the founding members, lead singer, and guitarist for a very well-known band back in the 60s called the Royals Guardsmen. I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening. Barry Winslow. Barry, how are you? Hey, doing fine, Robert. How are you, brother? Hanging in there. Hanging in there. We're uh, sweating it out. Now, I understand. I understand. You're talking about moving back to Florida from the Midwest out there in Missouri, the Show Me State. Yes, sir. We are, we've been wanting to the last year or so. Uh, I guess, you know, when you get up past that 50-year-old mark, that yeah. ice and snow is not fun anymore. <laughs> you know? And we get plenty of it up here, buddy. Well, that's what I hear. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, since I talked to you, I was reading a little newspaper article, and it was written, I'm not sure when. And it had some of your former band members. I think Billy Taylor, um, Chris Nunley, yeah. and uh, the, another gentleman. John, John Burdett. Bill yeah, 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 Burdett. And uh, they were kind of talking about... You know, how they're still kind of, you know, doing stuff, playing around local gigs and stuff like that. And they said it would be nice to have all the band members here. So, you know, and they mentioned that you lived uh, Timbuktu and somebody else lived in Timbuktu and, uh, or Michigan and you're in Missouri. And uh, guess what? If you could move back to Atala, at Ocala, then uh, we got the Royal Guardsmen back together, don't we, almost? Uh, almost, man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I imagine they can brace me up long enough. I'll do a tune with them. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, you can do like a lot of musicians do today, you know, guitarists. You know, they sit on a stool with one leg down and one leg propped up on the thingy, and all you have to have is a mic, and you're good to go. That's right, baby. That's, uh, I'll be, I'd be willing to do that. <laughs> all right, and I'd be willing to help promote you guys and uh, come see you. Now, let me ask you this. How did your musical career start? Well, basically, just uh, interested, you know, in music in general. But when I saw the Beatles and I saw a left-handed player, I said, wow, left-handed is okay. So I got, you know, a, a, like a $29 Western Wizard guitar and tried to start teaching myself because we didn't have anybody who could really teach any guitar lessons. So I just got real interested. And then I got serious, you know, about, about halfway through that and uh, started really teaching myself to, to play and try to sing along with the Beatles records. and just loved it. Okay, so this is uh, so this would have been an early. So if I'm, I'm going to take a wild guess here, um, this would have been around 1964, and you probably saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan like the rest of us did. Yes, sir. That was the first get go. Sure was right on our shoe. <laughs> in a shoe, really big shoe tonight. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cool, groovy. Yeah. All right. So then, uh, now you were in Florida at this point in time, right? Oh yeah, yes sir, yes sir. We uh, we moved there in uh, 1957. Okay, so you're from Kentucky originally. Then you moved to what? Upstate New York, and then down to Floridia. Yes sir. Yep, went down here to Floridia, and uh, my uh, my aunt had bought some property there in Bellevue. You know, the giant metropolis just south of Ocala. Yeah, the home of uh, Don Garlitz. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, Uncle Don's out there by the interstate. Mm -hmm. That's where I thought his museum was. Yep. But yeah, we. Uh, had to go to Florida, so we all wound up down there, and it was that's where I was kind of raised, pretty much, uh, 
early part of my life. It was, it was a, it was nice then, though. You know, Robert. You know, you, you could, I could walk across 441 in Bellevue and never have to look either way for a car. You know, it was, it was nice. It was two lanes. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you what, man, it's crowded now, isn't it, buddy? I ain't never seen anything like it. It's uh, well, you had mentioned, uh, we had talked earlier, you'd mentioned the villages. I mean, pretty soon they should say Florida of the villages, not villages of Florida. <laughs> exactly. That thing is spreading like a, you know, like paint on a floor, man. It is just getting huge down there. Oh, yeah. Well, you mentioned Bellevue. That's Sumster, Sumter County, I think. So, you know, they're Marion. Then they got into. Uh, uh, um, Lake County, and now all the way down to Sumter County. If they creep over into Citrus, we'll have to draw the line right there because that's as far as you yeah. know. That's seventy-five. Yeah, that'd be enough. Yeah, I think they got enough room there. <laughs> so now you're thinking about moving back. Where would you go? Would you go to Ocala, or would you go to the Bellevue area? Or? Yeah, we'd want to stay in Ocala. Uh, you know, Billy and and Donna uh, Taylor are real good friends. Billy and I basically grew up together as almost like brothers, you know, so we've been very close over the years. We'd like to be back, you know, near them and uh, somewhere in the Ocala area where we could have some, you know, have some fun for a change. You know? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Well, you know, Ocala, I've been going there all and off since the 70s, so it is it's absolutely exploded, too. I mean, top of the world was like a little thing, and across the street was Kingsland. That's way out there west of 200, you know, probably about yeah. 15 miles, and now it's just like, uh, it's six lanes all the way out to... Uh, Almost a almost a Citrus County. Good Lord, it's like Atlanta. Man. Yeah, six lanes of traffic going around Atlanta. It's insane. Yeah, I guess that's growth and progress, my friend. I guess that's what it is. So, how did the band come to fruition? Uh, basically, it was uh, a bunch of guys wanting to get together and just play. You know, try to get good at it, and uh, we had no idea it was going to turn anything monstrous. But we worked really hard on doing vocals and. And trying to really cover the records, you know, that was one thing I think we we really tried to do, and I think it was some of our success. You know, the, when when kids hear a, a Beatles song, for say, and they're at the dance, you know, they want to hear a Beatles song. You know, they don't want to hear Earl's version of the Beatles song. So we we tried to do it just like the record, and I guess we got pretty good at it. So I've had a number of musicians on my show, and I asked them about that. I mean, how do you feel about people doing covers of your songs? And even like Mark Farner, you know, Grand Funk, or, um, you know, Dave Mason, you know, because he's done a number of songs, or Rick Derringer, anybody like that. So they all say that they are flattered, and they think it's really, really cool. And the point that they always make is, as long as you do the cover pretty much the way we did the original one, is we like that because that's what everybody's used to, and particularly if it's dance music, because you're used to the what's the word I'm thinking about the 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 beat, I mean, the beat, yes, feel, you know, yeah, and yeah, I agree that they're spot on. That is a compliment. It's a huge compliment. I feel honored somebody copied like that. Absolutely, brother. Well, now Snoopy versus the Red Baron, which was your biggest hit. Tell us the story about that because that was a little bit controversial at first, wasn't it? Oh, it was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go ahead. It was a lot. But, yeah, I mean, little did we know as a bunch of kids, you know, but the, the brass that was in charge of us, I guess, went to battle with the uh, United Syndicate, whoever. But uh, when, when you know, we got the song, basically, is just an idea. And we thought, you know, here we are, six guys. we got six vocals. We want to be rock and rollers. We don't want to go 10, 20, 30, 30, you know. <laughs> so... We, we did it just as hokey as we could in Tommy's garage. We were a garage band, a real garage band. Uh-huh. We sat around this old this old two-track Western Wizard 
tape recorder <laughs> and, uh, and basically did it kind of like the way you heard it on the record. So we just said, yeah, they'll never buy this. You know, we wrapped it up, sent it back to Gernhardt. Next thing I know, they're going nuts. He, he had talked to Laurie Records, I guess, in New York. They were all excited about it. So we looked at each other and said, well, at least it's a recording session. You know, we'll, we'll try to do something other than that, you know. And we went in and just kind of did it like we did the demo. And uh, Chris had a really good, that really good German funky part in the front. And just, <laughs> you know, the whole thing just was a big ball. We had a good time doing it. Little did we know. Little did we know, brother. That thing was a monster. It was. I mean, I remember as a kid. I mean, and let me see if I can remember it because it goes Achtung gesehen zu sein der Geschichte der Schweinhunde und Lieberbären. And I'm thinking because I speak German, so I I understood it. And I'm thinking, where did they come up with that? So how do, who came up with that? Oh, uh, that was Chris. He was he was taking German at uh, at the university. He was going to college at the time. He's I think his first or second year. I guess uh-huh. his first year in. And he studied German. He said, Oh yeah, something about. Um, Attention now, we'll sing together the song of the pick-headed dog and our beloved Red Baron, I think is what it is. Something like that, yeah. Well, interesting. Was he going to Florida, or what university was he going to? Oh, Florida, yeah, Florida. Okay, well, we're Knowles, but I won't hold that against him. (laughs) The Univa Fla. The Univa Fla, yeah, right, exactly, in the cow town of uh, Gainesville. Okay, go Knowles. But anyway, all right, so, uh, so now, when you... When you were kids, you were garage band. Where did you kind of like do your first gigs? I mean, as kids, as teenagers, a lot of kids start at high school, right? Oh yeah, yeah. We did it. We did a high school thing, and then we somehow uh, got down to Johnson's Beach. I think it's called something else now, but uh, down in Okawaha, and we started just playing for dances, and they liked us, and we kept coming back, and we got better and better and better, and that was kind of our haunt. We did some. Uh, I think we did a couple of things. We called it a dance cert at uh-huh. uh, the auditorium in Ocala. Oh, really? That was fun. That was a whole different ball game. Yeah. <laughs> so the original name was what? Poseman. Yeah, that was the band that. See, I uh, let's see. Bill Bailo, John Burdett had kind of started the thing, right? And it was called the Postman. Okay. And, uh, uh, I came into it, auditioned, basically. Okay. And Chris came in, and then we got Billy Taylor and. Uh, I think, yeah, it was Bailo, Burdett, and then Tommy Richards. Yeah, we went through several lead guitar players till we got Tommy. But, yeah, it was just kind of a, I guess the reason he did that was to see if everybody was serious about it, you know? Because mm-hmm. you kind of have to apply yourself. Even as a kid, you got to focus on something, you know? Mm-hmm. So we did. And uh, that's kind of how it got started. Next thing you know, it was, well, look, we, gotta, we need an English name, you know? So we're all thinking about it and looking around. Well, at that time, you know, Vox was the equipment. I mean, you had to have Vox. You oh, yeah. Make it. <laughs> yeah. Excuse me. Compliments of Mr. Epstein and the Beatles, of course. You know, Vox. Oh, they put them on the map, so to speak. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So we had all different kinds of Vox equipment. And, really? Uh, I had bought a Royal Guardsman amp. And uh, I, I don't know who it was. I came here with Billy Burdett, one of them. Uh, said, well, there's an English name, and I'm looking around like, yeah, what are you looking at? <laughs> and they pointed at the amp, said the Royal Guardsman. I said, guys, that's a mouthful. You know, you hear a jock trying to do that, you know, the Royal Guardsman. <laughs> you know, and anyhow, I guess it stuck. I guess Gernard liked it, and they said, yeah, that's cool. We'll just, I mean, uh, not Gernard, but uh, the band liked it, rather, and said, okay, we'll go with it. It's no big deal. And like I said, back then, we had no idea, brother. 
No idea it was going to take off like that. It was amazing. Okay, so you guys were relatively young, okay, as teenagers. And, you know, I remember I've, I've had some other guests on that were also teenagers. And you guys, as teenagers, you, go, you really want to play the music. You like the notoriety, but you don't really understand the business side of it. So were your parents involved in any of that? Did any, anybody help you? Or did you just basically get kind of like murdered by the by the by the uh, managers and PR people on this. Yeah, well, we got we got murdered, all right. But the thing was, you know, I think Chris was the only one that was of age. Oh, really? Yeah, the rest of us were all, I was 17 years old, you know, the rest 16, 17, 15, 16, I think. And so our parents had signed for it, you know, signed the contract. Well, they didn't know anything about the music business. And this guy was really good. I got to hand it to him. You know, in the contract, he's rattling off, oh, you can do this. Well, the record goes to here, it'll make this. But, you know, all the high points, all the pretty parts of the car, you know? Right. And they, they bought it, and away, the next thing you know, he kind of owned his lock, stock, and barrel. So that's kind of how that one washed out. But, yeah, they had to basically sign for it. We were all so young. We were all underage. Well, I heard that the royalty uh, percentage was something like a few cents per record is all you guys got. Yeah, like 3% of 90%. How about that one? You know, that's what they called it. Wow. I thought about it. If, and that's if you know that's for performing. If you wrote it, you got about a penny and a half a side on a forty-five. Is that the way it was, or was that just uh, those guys taking advantage of you? <laughs> Excuse me, I don't, I don't. Know. I'm sorry about this little tickle. Call. Oh no, no, that's okay. But uh, I, I don't know at that time. I don't really know whether it was part of his stuff. <laughs> Excuse me, or uh, or that was part of the business. I understood it was the business hmm. that was standard in the business because. I remember somebody else talking about it. I can't remember who I talked to. Tommy James, somebody. I, I can't remember who it was, but we were we were all thinking about that way back when. And uh, this was after the fact. I'd seen Tommy just just a few months ago back here in Branson. And uh, but I remember talking to him about you know. Of course, he was with uh, what Roulette Records, I believe. And they were just about as bad, from what I understand. They owned everybody. You know. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that because we had James Owl. Uh, um, uh, Walsh on from uh, Gypsy, okay, and they they yeah. they pretty cool band out of Minnesota, and I had um, uh, the other lead singer and founding member, I can't think of his name right now, my dimension setting up, so I have to apologize for my, I, I use dimension as an excuse now, that works real good, but at any rate, um, <laughs> so anyway, but he was telling me that, you know, they, it was pathetic how these managers were literally take because you guys as musicians now I picked up the guitar in 1966 okay that's when I got my first guitar I started playing a little bit and uh, and I'm I'm not a, I'm not what you would call a musician but I tinker with the guitar I still play and then I gave it up for a long time and I just recently here in the last three or four years started picking it up again and playing with it so I do some riffs and stuff but that's why right. but I have a real interest in music and I like vintage guitars okay so where I'm going yeah. with this basically is that these guys like myself back then, I just wanted to play music. You guys yeah. took it to the next level, became bands and wanted to jam, and then you got gained popularity, and then yeah. people saw potential with you guys and just basically took advantage of it. I've heard that story over and over and over, and I mean, it's endless. Oh, it is. It is endless, brother. It is absolutely a fact that we were, we were absolutely, for a better word, just raped, all of us. You know, all, all of us in the 60s type band era mm -hmm. uh, outside of the British guys they just actually took advantage of everything and like I said I think the first the first record was like 1.8 million just like now you know bam 
it finally went to three point something million, and we got you know basically dribbles. The, uh, money, the only money we really made was on the road when we were because they couldn't take that away from us. You know, we were there, we got paid, and we were able to make a little bit of money. There was nothing but what the record brought. Now, Snoopy's Christmas is the big one. Yeah, we've been going on for fifty-four years. We play that on our show. I just want you to know that when Christmas time, we play Snoopy versus Red Baron Christmas song. We've done that for it's a tradition here. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I love that song. That's my favorite of the bunch. It really is. So, all right. So, going through that kind of let's say those little struggles with managers and stuff like that, was that ever discouraging for you as musicians? Did it impair? Did it create tension between band members? Did it did it stagnate your writing and your creativity process? Yeah, I, I think the worst thing it did, at least for me, was I realized that you know every time you had a hit on something like Snoopy, they want another one, and we want more and more and more. They wouldn't. They wouldn't look at us as artists and the songs and stuff that we wrote, trying to get it out there to break, the, you know, break the chain. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to promote us. All they wanted was more candy. Give me more free candy, you know. Mm-hmm. We just, I, I burnt. I mean, I, we were the contract for like three years long. And at the end of that contract, I told them, you know, right where the rocket ship could fly, and <laughs> I was done. I was burnt, baby. I was burnt, discouraged. Yes, to say the least. So then you moved on. And you got your pilot's license, and so for the last 40 years, 50 years almost, what have you, how have you been, uh, um, you know, living your life, so yeah, to speak? I got, yeah, I got my student license. I never did, I never was able to finish. Uh, I probably got 450 hours, but I can't log them, not legally. Okay. <laughs> yeah, anyhow, but I, I loved aircraft, always have since a kid, and I started, you know, walked into this place. I, I moved back to Nashville. I liked the Nashville area at mm-hmm. that time. And uh, went out to a place called Coal Mill Enterprises, and they were doing modifications to uh, Piper uh, aircraft, Navajos and stuff. And I got on there, just walked off the street, and I got under the wings of, a, of an A&P and an airframe power plant mechanic. And he, we took a liking, and he showed me the ropes. And 30 months later, I was able to go take my test. I had to earn it. I didn't have 16 grand, you know, to go to, go to school to get that ticket. So I worked 30 months. And then I went and took my test, and I passed. And I, then I became an AMP, baby, <laughs> which, for what it was worth, I could sell cars and make more money. But, <laughs> yeah, that's the truth. <laughs> yeah, that's the truth. But I enjoyed it, and I dabbled in between selling cars, literally, especially Jeep. I love my Jeepers. Okay. I um, uh, still love Jeep to this day. And as a matter of fact, when I, when I came back into Florida, uh, I think it was 75 when I came back. I've been gone about four or five years. Came back, and I don't even remember the guy's name, but his name was Joe Priest, AMC Jeep, at Super Guy. He and all, oh, they were just beautiful people. And we, uh, I, got, I got an opportunity to sell Jeep, and I loved it, loved every minute of it. And I was actually starting to make some good money. Then all of a sudden, right around the early part of 76, a couple of the guys in the band said, hey, we talked to this guy that would put us in clubs. You know, for God knows how much money a week, you know, a piece, and they take care of this and blah, blah, quack, quack. Well, the gig was, you know, six nights a week, two weeks in the same club, and just run your ragged, you know, four and a half hours a night, roughly. And so I said, well, okay, if you guys all want to do that and you're really serious about it, you know, get our chops back. Spent about a month or so just trying to get our chops back a little bit. And I said, okay, we'll go do it. So from 76 to roughly 79, we... We burnt. I burnt. <laughs> but 
it, we had good times. It's probably the tightest my chops have ever been, you know, as far as playing and singing. So I, I don't regret that part of it. But I burnt bad, Robert. I mean, I really did, buddy. I, did, I sold my guitars. I, I was done. Oh, wow. Yeah, well, we had the carrot dangled. You know, gotcha. Hey, we can chin. We'll do some do some mu- real music for you guys. You got and I started writing again, and Billy and I wrote, and Chris, and we were getting stuff down. It was pretty, you know, fairly decent material for the times, you know. And I thought, well, okay. And I played the game for you know right till the end. And I said, man, I'm done, fellers. I'm all done, baby. So I went back to pulling wrenches on aircraft again, and wound up over here in Missouri uh, from a helicopter company, and they were called. Uh, uh, Airvac EMS, small outfit to start with, but uh, I'd, I'd never seen a helicopter. You know, stripped. I said, I don't think I can work on this, man. It's got too many moving things. You know? <laughs> then I fell in love with them. I wouldn't want to work on anything else. I love the Elons. Got to even do a little flying uh, illegally, but I got to fly and love it, man. And that's kind of where I was until they uh, decided to sell out. They, uh, those people kind of look, look at that company as like a cash cow. Oh. You know, every couple of years they they sell it to another outfit. You know, and well, I made it through two buyouts, but the third buyout they wanted us gray hairs out, and uh, there was five of us that were just kind of tossed to the wind. And I'm just glad I didn't have my Glock that day. I'd be, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to take that little punk couldn't even spell helicopter. <laughs> you know, I was a little disheartened to say the least, Robert. <laughs> Well, now, let's talk about some of the cars that you had. You were telling me about a Jag and some of the wild driving you used to do in the Ocala, because you got some great roads up this way in between Citrus and Marion County. Oh, man, we, we had a good time, my friend. I loved the, I loved the cars in general, and, I mean, I I think when my dad let me drive our – he bought a brand-new 59 cab forward Jeep, that little ugly pickup with the flat nose. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and I used to take our stuff to the dump about two miles away and then go back. But, <laughs> but uh, the uh, the buggy bit me early on, and when I got where I could actually buy a car, my first car was a, and don't nobody faint, a Corvair. Ooh. And, uh, yeah, a little four-door Corvair. What a, jeez. Anyhow, we don't forget <laughs> about that. You had a Ralph Nader sticker on the back, right, <laughs> for president. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was now the 65 on up was good cars they changed the rear ends in them yeah of that swing axle stuff on oh, dude anyhow then i got you know started getting a little money and uh from the band well mainly from our shows and my i found this little uh mga little little 1960 mga uh-huh. took it home noticed it and sold it and then uh bought a uh my buddy down there that i used to pal with quite a bit mike reese good guy he had had a uh, he, they had bought a Jag and uh, I didn't know really you know much about it. I was getting interested in SCCA myself, but you know, oh. I didn't know much about it until I saw this thing in the flash and I said, "Oh God, that's got a nose as long as from here to Cincinnati," you know. <laughs> and uh, he says, "He says, well, he thought it was like a drag car, and uh-huh. not a drag, you know." Now from eighty on up, pull your britches up and let's go because I'm telling you what, the thing will scream. But we. Uh, he made me a deal, and I, I bought the car, took it home, and fell in love with that thing, brother. I mean, fell in love with it. Did, did a little crazy driving here and there, you know, mm-hmm. to brag about. But I do have a story one time when we're when we're together. I'll tell you about my little incident going to Tampa one day when kind of a little little rub with the uh, state police. Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. FHP. <laughs> oh yeah, it was it was and it wasn't a problem. You had the big old bad Furies, you know, the big four forties. Yep, yep. 
and uh, I crossed over immediately when he did, and then I went the other way because and, and he was really mad. And partner, I let that little kitty cat run. Oh, he just got smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And I pulled. Remember when they first built I seventy five down there? They only had about four miles runoff past Dale Mabry. Yep. I had to run into Dale Mabry and park under the bridge, and I could see the shadow of the car because it was early in the morning. And that antenna was laid straight back, and it sounded like it was frying fish when it went over the bridge. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to ease on now, St. Pete, see my buddy down there park this thing for a couple of days, because <laughs> there wasn't many jags in the area, you know, at that time with some long-haired kid in it. Oh, man. But, yeah, it was fun. Then I got a one of my other – it was just a nice car, a little TR4 Triumph TR4. Uh-huh. I got – yeah, I got the uh, what they call the IRS, the independent rear suspension. Yep, yep, yep. And that was oh, that was a fine handling ride. Man, wood dash. I mean, it was a sweet, really nice car. Um, and then I had to have a muscle car because you know Chris had got a Roadrunner, little three eighty three Roadrunner. Billy had bought a Le Mans. Uh, I think Billy. Let's see, Bill Baylor bought a, a Cougar. Oh, they got an RX. They call it RX XR seven. XR seven. That was it. Was, yep. That was a nice car too. I said, well, and this is a couple of years later, I just bought a Mustang, a really nice Mustang. I said, okay, I guess I'm going to have to have me some kind of American hot rod of some sort. Well, I grabbed an AMX. Oh, nice. And I'll tell you what, people, that was an understated ride, brother. I mean, I was already into cornering and, you know, learning how to handle cars. and Learning my limits more than anything, Robert. Anyhow, they had a, I got one in, it was a 69, uh, three, uh, three, I think it's 390, yep. Yeah, it had what they call the Go Pack. Yep, Go. Wow, yeah, okay. So Posi and all that good stuff. Short gears in it, 391s, yep. Yes, sir. Yes, four sir. speed. Ratio, four speed close ratio for uh, road running, you know. Yep, yep. And, tow and stuff like that. It was a beautiful, beautiful automobile. And, uh, again, all the other cars I had for a while then sold. And if I'd only known then what I know now, partner, I could have retired 20 years ago <laughs> just selling the cars. But, yeah, I loved them. I absolutely love all of you. Love my Jeepers. Go deep and man. I just kind of anything that rolls. I think I really like. But uh, yeah, we had some we had some pretty good times. Uh, and you know it was funny. We, I look at the times then. Of course, we didn't have near the traffic, and most of the people then didn't have cell phones distracting from anything. You know, people really cared about how they drove. They actually took a little pride in it. So you could come up tight to somebody, and everybody's behaving. You know, it's not a big deal. But nowadays, oh lord, uh, no, nope. I, uh, I, I'm kind of glad I don't have any high performance anymore. I either kill somebody or be killed. <laughs> they don't pay attention. <laughs> you know, they just look right at you. If they even look at you, oh, it scares me to death, man. And I do, I do love high performance stuff, but I still do to this day. Nothing beats acceleration, man. You know, you never get tired of that. Well, when you get to Ocala, we got a few minutes left here. But when you get back to Ocala and you put the band together, we got to do some car show gigs. And uh, and you got to bring your band out and then uh, play at some of the you know the local stuff that's around here. That would be great. There's one. Are you are you familiar with the World Equestrian Center they just built in Ocala? I, I saw it when we were down there visiting Billy. That thing is enormous. It's got its own zip code, man. That thing's huge. It is. Well, you know, guess what? We and a couple other guys are talking about putting on an event there possibly next year sometime. So I think wow. it would be kind of cool to maybe get and it's in your backyard. I mean, maybe put together some. Some sort of a venue, but the other thing I was going to ask you: there were other bands around. Remember Lobo? Lobo, you're you're um, 
Uh, yeah, I knew that. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, me and you and a dog named Boo. And so, I mean, when I, you know, all, all the bubblegum music, if you want to call it, was actually kind of cool back in the 60s. And it was a type of music, you know. And I remember we had Rick Derringer on. Of course, he did Hang On Sloopy. And he didn't really want to do that. He wanted to get in rock and roll. So it sounds like you guys, from a commercial standpoint, you know, Snoopy versus Red Baron, Hang On Sloopy, Me and You and a Dog Named Boo. You know, those were kind of like the songs that the, the promoters and your managers wanted. But you guys wanted to right. kind of like do rock and roll music, right? Oh, yeah, man. We wanted to, you know, we had the vocal capability of, of uh, and not to put ourselves anywhere near the caliber, but we could do Eagles covers. I mean, literally cover it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that kind of harmony and the Beatles, of course, and and. We really wanted to be a band. You know, we wanted to be our own band, our own sound. And you know, like you said, they wanted the commercial end of it. And boy, howdy, did they get it. You know, they did all right. So, real quick, we've got a minute or two left here. Uh, musical instruments. That, so, you early on, you were using Vox, obviously. So then after, right. after a while... Now, are you more of a rhythm guitarist or lead guitarist? Oh, I'm a rhythm. I have a hard time with that, but that's what I do. <laughs> I, do. Uh, I, I can relate. I can, leads leads tough. You got to be able to move your fingers pretty quick. But so, what type of guitars did you play after Vox? Besides Vox guitars. Well, the, that was my amp. I had a. Oh, your amp. Okay. Yeah, my very first guitar was a Baldwin, which you know that piano company. And there's some promo pictures of things. See, I had to play it upside down, backwards, because nobody. Yeah, lefty. Nobody no lefties existed, but. Uh, I bought a, a Gibson Flying V. Oh, awkward son of a gun to play. Yeah, and um, then I went to a Fender, a couple of Fenders. Um, but my favorite of all time is a Gibson three thirty five. I just absolutely love that thing. And and when I bought my first one, it was like eight hundred and fifty bucks, you Ooh. know, with case. Mm-hmm. And nowadays, you have to pretty much hock your firstborn. They're like eight thirty five hundred four thousand dollars for a plain Jane one. But I did enjoy that guitar. It's just my, my favorite guitar. I love a thin hollow body. Um, maybe because I'm getting so fat, you know, it's easy to hold. Let's stare over the edge, try to see where the neck is, you know. <laughs> but it's just it's just a beautiful playing instrument. I mean, I, I, it, it makes me sound decent. It really did. Well, you know, a lot of noted uh, guitars played those. I mean, you know, look, BB King played a 335, I think. Alvin, um, yeah, from yeah, uh, from uh, oh, ten years after he played it, Alvin Lee. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. It's a good guitar. I love rosewood neck. It's you know real warm and uh, and because I'm not a real you know giant lead player, I don't. The Fenders made me feel different because they had a very, they had a varnished you know very varnished neck mm-hmm. and they're hardwood and uh, which is great because then your amplifier can do anything you want to do with them. And now with all the distortion and stuff you got built in, you can you can make one sing like Hendrix, man. You know, just all day long. <laughs> If you got the digital dexterity, which I don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, Barry, we are up against the clock. I want to thank you very much for hanging out with us here at Nostalgic Reading Cars. When you get to Ocala, you know, we'll stay in touch. I'll shoot you an email from time to time. Maybe we can get together do something. Have you guys on again, uh, maybe a couple other members on the show, and uh, talk more about music and cars and, and North Central Florida. I would love it, Robert. I'm honored, and and thank you so much for having me on. And we, we will get together, buddy. That's a promise. We will do that. I'm headed that way, one way or the other. I'm gonna be there. Okay, and there's plenty of car shows coming up here. We're coming up in the wintertime, yeah. so if you uh, get here before uh, next year, you'll get you'll get to enjoy the whole winter and fall, fall, winter, and oh, spring. 
Looks, doesn't, that's, that, doesn't that exhaust smell so good when they're wrapping about eight grand? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the smell of high-octane fuel, you know. That's... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> buddy. Aircraft fuel, aircraft fuel. There we go. There we go. I got some of that. Some of that. Uh, yeah, we got that high-octane. <laughs> okay. All right, Barry. Um, real quick, if anybody wants to find out more about you, how do they go about doing it? Do you have a website, a Facebook page, or anything like that? No, uh, the Facebook died. Um, basically, uh, The Royal Guardsmen, do they have anything? Yeah, no, the Royal Guardsman has a site. Yes, they do. And I, I'm not sure which one of them keeps it up. But yeah, the RoyalGuardsman.com, I believe, but it is. Okay. I think that's it, buddy. All right. Well, Barry, you take care, and uh, we'll be in touch, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you here in Florida. Absolutely, Robert. Thank you, man. God bless you, buddy. You too. Bye-bye. I want to thank my special guest this evening, Barry Winslow, one of the founding members and uh, lead singer and guitarist for the Royals Guardsmen. And next week we'll play a little Snoopy vs. the Red Baron. In the meantime, don't forget to check us out here every Tuesday night between 10, no, 7 and 8 p.m. on the Sandtalk Radio Network, where you can listen to interviews with the most fascinating and legendary people in motorsports and music right here in little old downtown Clearwater at WTA. In the meantime, everybody, want to see some of the car shows, get out to drive those cars. Weather's getting better. Stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. WTAN, Clearwater, FM 106.1, WDCF, Dade City, FM 102.3, WZHR, Zephyr Hills, FM 104.3. Listen.